Even my brother told me he will break my leg if I go for the meetings. When a person converted to Christianity or any other religion, he not only brings dishonor to his family, but he is betraying the nation. Humanly, it's impossible, but we believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the power of the gospel. Our guest this week on VOM Radio is training gospel workers and sending them out all over South Asia where they're seeing firsthand the power of the gospel to change the hearts and lives of people. But they're also seeing opposition and persecution. We'll hear how they're overcoming and how God is at work this week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Uh, I'm in the studio today with Prem Kumar, who is the General Secretary and Director of a group called Global Impact. And we're going to talk about what they do. They are sending uh, missionaries into some of the hardest, toughest, most difficult, most dangerous places in the world. Uh, Prem, welcome to VOM Radio. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure kind of coming to your radio station and media kind of meeting your listeners through this program. I want to just jump right in because you you're sending gospel workers, missionaries to really tough, dangerous, difficult places, places where they can face really intense persecution. So the first question I want to ask is how do you find these workers who are willing to go into those really hard places. We normally conduct uh, mission conferences, uh, mission seminars, and also youth camps and uh, children's program and youth program, as well as mission Sundays at various places. And we challenge them either to, uh, we, ch we give them information about various countries, shows videos of places, and challenge them to make a decision either to go or support. So some people who come forward, we follow up with them. And then the second question then is, is because you're sending them from your home base in Sri Lanka, you're sending them uh, to hard places, how do you prepare them to face persecution? Because they're going to places where literally they could be thrown in jail for handing somebody a Bible. Uh, they're going places where they could be beaten or attacked. How do you prepare them for that, and especially their faith? How do you prepare them to stand strong in their faith? Normally, we have a solid training program where kind of it's a must for every missionary who goes. That training, we bring people from country, restricted countries, or we call it creative access countries. They share their experience, and they kind of share from what they have learned and the mistakes, and they how, how to face the challenges, and uh, so we give them a proper training on that. After that training, we place them on an internship at a difficult place for them to see how they are coping, whether they are adopting. But ultimately, uh, I would say, in spite of all the training, everything, when they go to the field, only the reality strikes them. 
But uh, one of the things we are, at the interview stage we look for is whether they have a real sense of call from God. Whatever training we provide, unless they have a call, they will not stand. And uh, then if they have a call, they, have, they may have faced these difficulties, discouragement, uh, but they need a lot of encouragement from outside as well as inside. But uh, God has been faithful in keeping them. How long of a training process is that? Is that a matter of months, a matter of years? How long do they go through yeah, this training? Uh, in e all this time, we have been doing a kind of a flexible kind of training covering 40 different syllabus, practical assignments, as well as written assignments and internship three months. But now we are kind of increasing it. Uh, next year, we are starting a training program. It's going to be three months residential program, three months on the local field, again, three months uh, on the residential program, again, three months on the field. So after this one year, they would be well equipped. We're also going to see their personal relationship with God, how they are adopting to cultures, how they're able to learn a, learn a language, how they f uh, face difficulties. And in internship, we place them at a difficult position cross-culturally at a stretching situation, how they are coping up with the situation. What kind of persecution have you seen these missionaries face once they got to the field? What, what are some stories uh, of the challenges and the persecution that, that they've faced? Actually, in one place, uh, they were reported, they, they have been receiving calls saying that we are from CID and what are you doing here? And some people have visited them and got their passport copies. And we are still up to date. We don't know whether they are really CIDs or somebody else. And also in one other place, uh, it's a restricted country or kind of creative access country. And some of them have said that we are going to chase away all non-Muslims here. And they have got threats. Uh, so it's very kind of, so far we were, we were not assaulted, but many times we, we were kind of had to face humiliation. Uh, and, but even though some others have really loved them and encouraged them, we have a kind of mixture of things. Are most of these workers, are they coming out of Christian families or are they converts themselves from something yeah, else? Yeah, actually most of them are converts themselves, except few who are from Christian families. And so would they have faced persecution even from their own families when they first came to Christ? Yeah, some of them, yes. So that's a, an additional preparation exactly. for what they may face. Exactly. What is your background? How did you come to be involved in this ministry, and how did you come to know Christ? Actually, I'm from a Catholic background. I'm the first to accept Jesus as my personal Savior, uh, but my family opposed me. And uh, even my brother told me, he will break my leg if I go for the meetings. I came to know the Lord through Youth for Christ. And my mother opposed me, my sister opposed me. And uh, everything goes wrong in the family. They blame on me because I've changed my religion. <laughs> uh, so it, it was a challenge. But I was exposed to missions when I was doing, uh, studying Bible at Bible college on part-time basis. I was working and doing. And they had a mission, week of mission emphasis. People presented different countries. One of the guys put some photographs of one of the countries and he shared about that country. That caught my attention. I never dreamt that I will get involved in this country. But in right time, due time, or appointed Kairos time, God opened the door. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Why is it that missionaries from Sri Lanka are more effective in some of these places than, say, missionaries from Oklahoma? Yeah, actually, uh, the... 
Western missionaries had a part to play and we were really impressed and challenged by their commitment and sacrifice. But the now issue is the governments and the countries know why they are there. They will be monitored, watched. and But in a, in a context of the near cultures like Sri Lanka, many of them are already working there. Too many to kind of track down. And also we understand the culture better, even though there are cultural differences, similar cultures. And also it's easy for us to relate to them. Already we have some relationship with them. So uh, that's one of the reasons we can be more effective. We are meeting them in the natural context. Otherwise, they won't see that we have any Indian motives or kind of we are bringing money for Western money and trying to convert because we ourselves are poor. <laughs> and uh, so I think it will give us a natural, credible platform to build up relationship with the community that we are trying to serve. It seems like there's a little bit less natural resistance from the people, that that anything Western is a little bit suspicious, but you being from Sri Lanka, your workers from Sri Lanka is like, oh, yeah, that's close to here. Exactly, exactly. You mentioned uh, some of your workers today in, in our VOM chapel where you shared uh, that have been in a particular location for six years. They've had all kinds of trouble. They've had health problems. They've had issues. They, it just has been a really hard six years, and they haven't seen anybody come to Christ yet. How do they stay motivated to stay in a, in a hard place for six years without losing hope? I think uh, they went through many discouragement, frustrations. Uh, they had a lot of questions in their mind. But one thing they did not question is their call. And uh, that kept them going. And also the encouragement they received from various people, from their churches, from Global Impact and others. Uh, we ensured that missionaries will be cared well. So we have a person kind of dedicated to look into the affairs of the missionaries, be in touch with them on a regular contact. And also we have a small member care committee that look into the affairs of the missionaries. Humanly speaking, if not for that member care committee, a lot of the missionaries have, would have left the field. And they, all the missionaries want is somebody to listen to their grievances, challenges, frustrations. And uh, when they have a listening here, that relieves them challenges them, and then go. they go back renewed. I think that's a great message for many of our listeners who probably uh, support missionaries from their church or from other places, uh, to remember that gift of encouragement, of uh, making a phone call, sending an email, saying, hey, we're praying for you, uh, lifting up those gospel workers. Uh, I cannot imagine six years without seeing fruit and going through all the suffering uh, and still getting up every morning and saying, hey, we're here, we're going to serve the Lord, uh, great things are going to happen. It is God's grace sustaining them, and God is using His people to encourage them. Amen. Let's talk about some of the specific countries, and I know you can't talk in too much detail about specific work and what's going on, but uh, I want to talk about the the attitude and kind of the, the persecution atmosphere uh, in some of these countries. Let's talk about the Maldives first. The Maldives is uh, an incredibly beautiful country. I've been uh, trying for years to get sent there somehow by VOM, and they haven't done it yet because it's so beautiful. But it's also a country where any Christian activity, even by foreigners, is illegal. 
tell us a little bit about the Maldives and some of the challenges there for for gospel workers. Actually, in Maldives, every Maldivian has to be a Muslim by law. So conversion is a criminal offense. When a person converted to Christianity or any other religion, he not only brings dishonor to his family, but he's betraying the nation. And he will be considered like an Al-Qaeda or terrorist. So a lot of social pressure and also the governmental pressure. So it's, it's very difficult for a person to think differently than uh, the way of Islam, even though many of them are really fed up or frustrated with the system, but they cannot voice it. So for a Maldivian to come home to his family and say, Mom, Dad, I'm a Christian now, is is like somebody in America coming home to their family and saying, hey, I just joined Al-Qaeda. Exactly. That's the that's the perception that they would have is this is terrible. This is the worst possible thing. Exactly. So in a situation like that, how do you how do you do gospel work? I mean, how do you how do you even take steps of trying to plant seeds of the gospel? Yeah. I think humanly speaking, humanly it's impossible. But we believe in the power of the gospel. And uh, that is like a dynamite that can change people. We believe in the power of the gospel. I love that. Uh, Prem, you're working with Muslims all over South Asia, even in India, which uh, a lot of people don't know is the second largest Muslim population in the world. How do you do that? How do you engage Muslims in places like India? What we are trying to do is to show the love of Christ. We see three kinds of uh, Muslims. One are very orthodox and some are fanatics out of that. Some are modern, some are uh, folk. So we take different approaches to these. Modern people, we can directly share the gospel. Orthodox people, we, maybe we may have to use some Quran, Quranic scriptures as bridges. We don't give so much authority to Quran, but use it as a bridge. Uh, but for others... Uh, one of the things that is very effective is that uh, praying for them. Normally what happens is when they are sick, they, they, they don't mind us praying for them, uh, even though we are not supposed to mention Jesus' name. And also when see, they say healing or deliverance and some power encounter or something happens, that opens their hearts to the gospel. We are praying like the apostle prayed that God will do signs and wonders and uh, speak to them through dreams and visions. And that's happening in the Islamic world. Uh, that's one of the things we have been praying for. And, and also show real, genuine love. And see the, uh, sow the seed of the gospel in a very gradual and slow process way. They really, they are praying for the Lord to lead them to the person. They just go and share the gospel with everybody. So it's a divine appointment where God prompts them to share the gospel. And it's done in a very slow process couple of really cool things that you just said, and I, and I want to draw out. One is the shows of power, of God's power, that are drawing people to Christ. You pray for somebody and they're healed. They have to acknowledge that happened somehow. Uh, and just like we see in the New Testament, we see the apostles uh, praying for people and they're healed, and then suddenly other people want to know, well, hey, what's going on here? Tell me more. The other thing I thought you said that was really important for our listeners to pick up on is is knowing which type of Muslim you're talking to. Because we've talked previously on, on Voice of the Martyrs Radio about ministry to Muslims in, right here in America, in our uh, supermarket, in our classroom, whatever. 
and knowing is is this somebody who's really devout in their faith or is this somebody who yeah they were born in a muslim family so they think they're muslim but they don't pray five times a day they don't read the quran they don't know uh, that was very significant and i like how you said that your workers are trained to act differently and to speak differently depending on what type of Muslim they're talking to. Let's talk now about uh, India and particularly a, a place called Bihar that uh, it once was called the Graveyard of Missionaries. Uh, and today there are gospel workers there. Not a lot. There is still a great need. Um, but what are some of the challenges that, that workers face in Bihar? Uh, one is uh, kind of there are extreme groups functioning in that area. Uh, which is really keen to prevent uh, from Hindus being converted to Christianity. That's one challenge. Second challenge is the uh, Bihar was a stronghold of Hindu uh, mythology. So a lot of them worship uh, what they call Anuman, uh, a kind of a god. Yeah. So yeah, they, uh, they have a lot of festivals. So even the people who kind of showed interest and come to church, when they have a big festival, everyone drawn towards that. So kind of even though they are not really, when you share the gospel, they are not arguing or opposing it. They will less just listen, but they won't accept. This it, is a challenge. Is there a perception among Hindus who worship millions of gods uh, that that they can just sort of add Jesus to the mix? And, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I worship all these. Oh, yeah, you've got a Jesus? Great, I'll worship him too. Do they... Do they see that as a possibility? Yeah, but when you come to kind of accept Jesus as the only way, that's an issue. Yeah. Uh, but the, some they listen to the gospel, but our missionaries were saying that they listen, but they don't accept Christ. Even they accept Christ, when there's a big Hindu festival, they were drawn towards it to do all kinds of things. So real transformation has to take place. And, and, they, and that's also the point where persecution can happen. Once they reject Hinduism and say, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not going to the festival, I'm not worshiping the gods, that's when their families and others look on and say, wait a minute, uh, we're going to have to deal with this. Yeah, exactly. What types of persecution have you seen in Bihar among those who come to faith? Actually, kind of, uh, there are other good organizations that are working in uh, Bihar, especially the southern part of Bihar, and uh, their missionaries were attacked and uh, they face severe persecution. Uh, but uh, but still, I would say that even though the opposition is there, there are big Muslim population, about 18, more than 18 million in Bihar, but still, uh, kind of, in a lot of the areas are open to the gospel. They are very poor, extremely poor, and they are loving, even though there are difficult people, tough people, very tough and rough people, but we really get close to them. They are really hospitable and loving. Uh, but for some reason, even though some places they were severely persecuted, attacked, and uh, physically harmed, at other places, the social pressure was so high, and they found it very difficult to kind of practice Christianity. In some places, uh, kind of uh, the churches are growing without much of a problem. It depends on situation to situation. If you see the neighboring state, Jharkhand, a lot of them are becoming Christians, but the persecution is very high there. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.
Now, when you say social pressure, what what do you mean by that? They're kicked out of their families. They're yeah, it can happen. Yeah, and also the, uh, the kind of they were kind of discarded from the society, mm-hmm. and especially the women, they don't have much power. Uh, the daughter-in-law is like a slave of the family, and when she makes a commitment, she doesn't have much of a choice. And also, there are other social barriers. A man cannot enter a house where there are women until you go with a family and they invite. Sometimes our workers have to go and stay for one hour, two hours till they invite us. <laughs> so, and also, the women even have less uh, kind of. Uh, freedom or equal status, and more women are open to the gospel than men. Interesting. So it's a, and the persecution comes in the form of their husbands or father-in-laws, uh, stopping them from going to places or kind of assaulting them. Mm, wow. Uh, let's talk about Bangladesh. What is what's happening with the gospel and what's happening with persecution in Bangladesh? Bangladesh is a country kind of they have many kind of I think Muslims. Majority of them are Muslims, and one of the area that we work with, Islam came to Bangladesh from that place. Ah, a saint <laughs> came, and uh, so it's a very sensitive place. Uh, so kind of uh, and also for them, the Christians also be considered like Hindus. So they don't see much of a difference between Christian and Hindus because of their uh, cultural closeness and some of the Hindus also, uh, Christians also practice some of the Hindu cultural things. But when it comes to the, the Muslims, kind of when a person makes a decision to Christ and he's bringing dishonor to the family, not only that, the social pressure is there. Actually, think the Muslim societies are organized quite well. So it's very difficult to have a visible church in that area. It has to be an underground church. But the first line of persecution is your own families. Yeah, definitely. And also the the mosque, uh-huh. mosque and community leaders. Okay. And, uh, and there are t- times that Christians also have made blunders. Uh, and uh, they host the uh, biggest second Islamic gathering next to Hajj in Bangladesh. There was a Christian who was trying to go, uh, distribute gospel materials. He was assaulted. I would say that this is not a wise thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a bold thing to do. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the wise thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, I personally believe that the relationships and kind of helping the community and also kind of uh, yeah, natural through relation, natural bridges, you can also through prayers and power encounters. We could. I'm not saying that we have succeeded or done kind of great things, uh, but we are very slow in what we are doing. But uh, now God is opening new doors, and very soon we are hoping that we are going to see much results. How do you prepare a believer, and this would be in Bangladesh or in any of the places where you're working, to face that persecution? Because one of the things that, that often happens is brand-new baby Christians face persecution and somehow they stand up under persecution. I think those of us who maybe are more old in our faith or we've been a Christian for a long time, we look at that and say, wow, they've only known Jesus for two weeks and they're standing up under persecution. Why is that? And how do you prepare those believers from the first day that they could face persecution? Uh, One of the things we do is that uh, uh, we will not uh, take them out of their culture. 
and uh, we uh, actually uh, we don't say that now you are come out of islam and you, you are coming out all your culture and cultural values we also kind of encourage them to value their culture heritage and it's not like our culture is superior to theirs and we only wanted them to change their relationship with god so being in the culture so normally what happens is when they become a christian they become alienated to their society and that brings unnecessary persecution so we are trying our best to avoid even a church is planted it should be a native church with a native name and also within their cultural and ways of worship that's one step we want to really encourage them to do second thing is as paul did it we want to prepare them for persecution we teach about persecution suffering the cost of being a christian uh, yeah those are kind of and also when they are alone we try to see how we could give fellowship and encouragement to them to prepare them to face a bigger challenge many a case they were really scared to face a bigger challenge so they they would rather prefer to be a secret believer than come out yeah it's safer yeah of the nations where you're working and and some we've talked about we haven't talked about all of them but which one right now is the most difficult for gospel work uh i think it's very difficult to say this is most difficult every place has different challenge when you consider the minikoi people they are kind of there are no known believers among them wow not a single church and the first person to take a step of faith is going to be a difficult task and one of my desires to stay within our lifetime we will see a church among the minikoi people now are they predominantly muslim muslims yes okay and no not a single known minikoi Min- believer yeah the last person who has become a christian is during francis xavier's time wow wow so that's an item to add to our prayer list uh for sure i i want to as we close out our time together uh, that's the question i want to ask you is how can we pray uh, not only for global impact but for these nations as well uh, but we want to equip our listeners to be prayer warriors to help the gospel work around the world so how how would you encourage us to pray yeah one of the things i would encourage you to pray for the missionaries was serving with all the difficulties loneliness working hard seeing very little fruit pray that the lord will encourage them and give the joy of seeing the results of their labor and also more workers from the near cultures to join them as teams to encourage them and also visas has been a problem a long term visas and also pray that there will be workers placed in every unreached areas when i say unreached that's a place where there are no strong churches to evangelize their own people uh and also i would encourage the listeners to pray for the unreached or least evangelized nations in their regular prayers for the lord to open doors like country like maldives the lord to kind of change the laws to uh, kind of uh, give freedom of religion as well as believers to kind of accept jesus and stand firm for their faith uh, i encourage you this week pray for those workers i think of that a couple who's been in one spot for 6 years they've gone through incredible hardship they have not seen anyone come to know Christ yet how easy would it be uh, to grow discouraged and to pack up and say i'm done uh, this isn't working uh, but let us pray that god will sustain uh, prem kumar is the general secretary and the director of global impact thank you very very much for being our guest today on VOM radio it's a pleasure thank you very much
Thank you, Prem Kumar, for being our guest this week. You know, we heard this week about the need for encouragement for missionaries, and I hope you'll take that as a personal challenge. Pray for the missionaries that you know. Send an email or a Facebook message and let them know you're praying for them and cheering them on. You know, we ask God to encourage the missionaries, but we can be a part of the answer to that prayer as well. You can connect with us online this week at vomradio.net. You can listen to our conversation with Prem. You can hear our other episodes as well, vomradio.net. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.